Hello and welcome to The Stack. For this week's show, we head to Japan to feature Storied, a new title inspired by the people, crafts and traditions of Japan. We also speak to photographer Jason Fulford on his new book, Photo No-Nos, an incredible companion on what not to photograph, according to more than 200 photographers worldwide. And finally, with the death of Italian icon Raffaella Carà, we hear once again my chat with Simone Marchetti from Vanity Fair Italia on his first cover since becoming editor-in-chief for the magazine, which was, of course, the brilliant Raffaella. Enjoy the show. From Midori House in London, this is The Stack, 30 minutes of print industry analysis, and I am Fernando Augusto Pacheco. We start the show talking about photography, or perhaps what not to photograph. In Photo No-Nos, a new publication by Aperture, American photographer Jason Fulford asks more than 200 contributors their meditations on what not to photograph. From the more absurd to the heartfelt, the book is a delight, and is a wonderful tool for photographers out there that wish to avoid easy metaphors and to sharpen their visual communication skills. Here is Jason with more. I think it's something that a lot of photographers talk to each other about, but they never write it down or they never really, it, it stays in private conversations. <laughs> Some friends and I had, have talked about this for years. Usually it happens just through the process of feedback you know you're making pictures then you're showing them to friends and you're critiquing each other sometimes a friend will say you know that oh i've also shot that picture you know that's not that special <laughs> or um maybe that one's a little too easy or you know i like this one better even which means the that they like another one not as not as much so i think it's just part of a, the normal feedback process of working, you know, making pictures, looking at them and talking about them. So I had only really talked to close friends about these ideas. And I was curious to hear from other people around the world. I mean, and what an extensive list as well. The book has more than 200 contributors. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. you, you have quite a, a big list of contacts. It was a lot of work. I did most of these interviews during COVID, uh, which was actually really great for me because it kept me social when I was in isolation. <laughs> But yeah, so most of these interviews happened over the last year. What's your uh, photo no-no? I mean, you mentioned, I think in your uh, the beginning of the book, it's, is it empty stairs, right? I mean, I have many, many things. You know, some of them are silly uh, and some of them are, are more nuanced. I mean, there's a type of photo no-no for a lot of people, which is just things that are too photogenic. It's very difficult to, to photograph something that's too photogenic and to somehow go beyond that surface quality of the subject. So uh, some people avoid those things altogether. You know, Most people that I talked to were not uh, really... Um, Uh, strict about these things, you know, and, and nobody really wants to say, you know, these, these subjects are off the table, but there are some things that you make pictures of, and then you, you're not really happy with them. And so you stop. So for example, some of these things, 
that I would shoot that I, I would think maybe had some kind of potential for metaphor or something, but never really held up would be things like tarps on top of cars. You know, they look really great and you think maybe this has some sort of hidden meaning, but then the pictures never really live up to that potential or shrubbery or, you know, palm trees against the sky, things like that. But then for me, there's also more nuanced things like I want the picture not just to be about the subject, but to be about something more. So I want the picture to somehow transcend the thing that's depicted. So for me, a no-no would also be just the, the thing or the person as itself or as themselves. I absolutely get it. And, and of course, there's a lot of things that in a way kind of they become a cliche as well, especially in this age mm -hmm. of Instagram where you know, everybody pretends they're a photographer. I mean, and there's some of them that made me laugh. I mean, babies dressed as vegetables. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a funny one. It's actually, uh, what I liked about the book, there's a, also a lightheartedness to it. There's, of course, there are very serious reasons why a photographer wouldn't do something, but there's also the silly ones, which is also funny to read. Yes, and I, I think that also is a better depiction of life in general as, as a photographer or, or as whatever you are. In any given day, you go through a range of things that happen to you in your life from really heavy and serious things to really stupid and funny things to embarrassing things to things that make you proud. And, you know, all of that is happening at the same time. And so I didn't want this book to just be, you know, hit one note or, or, or just be about one thing. I wanted it to be about every, not everything, but, I, you know, I wanted it to really be about the range of things that you deal with in a given day. No, I agree. And, and there's one that was quite interesting as well, which is anything at 1 p.m. Um, yes. <laughs> that was quite funny because I thought it was going to be about the light. I didn't quite understand, but that was, that was good because, yeah, I don't think it's actually a good time as well. There's a whole run of, uh, of uh, topics. So, yeah, the book is organized alphabetically. We, we, we ended up collecting over 1,000 topics. And... Um, by organizing it alphabetically by subject, you really get that mashup of, you know, funny things and serious things back to back. But there's, um, yeah, there's a whole run of things that start with the word anything. So anything at 1 p.m., anything at F1.2, <laughs> anything at ISO 3200 plus, anything I'm not curious about, anything out of a moving car window, anything overworked, overdetermined. Anything resembling an aesthetic coming from Windows 98 and the latest PlayStation graphics. Anything sexy. It goes on for another three pages with um, topics that start with anything. That's amazing. And I, I, for one, you know, I'm not a photographer at all, but every time I try to do sunset, sunrise, it's always a disaster. So then I always have to mm -hmm. be like, you know what? I'll just take it in the beautiful sunrise and not try to make a picture out of it. Yeah, a few people talk about that in the book as well. I think Robin Maddock talks about that and Alex Webb talks specifically about sunsets. And Jason, tell us a bit more as well. I know you're the co-founder of JNL Books and I, you know, I had a look at the website. There's some very interesting uh, kind of releases. So t tell us about the listeners perhaps who don't know JNL Books. You know, what is it? Which type of books do you guys kind of, you know, have it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so JNL Books is a nonprofit that I started with my friend Leanne Shapton. She's an artist and a writer. We started it back in 2000. And um, it, we publish books, we just say by and about artists because 
you know, the, the themes and the sensibilities in the books are always evolving. We don't really know what will come out next year. <laughs> and it started when I self-published my first photo book called Sunbird. And then I showed it to, to her and she said, let's start a publishing company. <laughs> and this was coming on the heels of like McSweeney's and, and um, this time when we started seeing some of our peers also start to be publishers. So we, we started editing just the work of friends of ours who we thought wouldn't be published at the time by anyone else making books. And then as soon as we started putting books out into the world, uh, we started receiving submissions from strangers. And so it sort of just grew organically like that. And um, we've published a lot of photography books, but we've also published uh, a biography of Martin Kippenberger written by his sister after his death and um, some books of drawings and short stories. And uh, it's something that we both do on the side. You know, we do it as volunteers. And so for me, it's similar to this photo known as book in that it's something in my life that helps sort of foster a community. I think when you're an artist, it, it's often a pretty solitary, self-obsessed life. So it's good to have some other things in your life that um, are not about you. And besides photo no-nos and, and of course, GNL books, I mean, do you have any kind of upcoming projects for this year, for example? Well, um, I like to say there's like, um, two general types of photographers. I would call them like sculptors or collectors. A sculptor type is someone who builds something from scratch, you know, sets up a scene or a still life and makes a picture of it. And the collector type is more like me, who is always wandering around, finding things out in the built environment and taking them home. And so I'm always making pictures, which means at this point in my life, I always have like a lot of different groups of pictures that might may or may not become a book at some point. Um, right now I have four or five different groups of pictures that I think might be a book one day. Um, one of them is about Italy. Another one is about types of pictures. Another one is more open-ended. I just got back from a long trip to Italy, which is my first big trip since COVID lockdown. And it was also the first trip where I've been making a lot of pictures since COVID hit. So. Right now, I have a bunch of film that I'm about to start scanning. I'm excited about that. That was Jason Foford there. Photo No-Nos is out now, published by Aperture. And now we head to Kyoto to feature a new magazine launched by Rachel Davis. It's called Storied. The new quarterly title is inspired by Japan and its people, traditions, and also provides an insightful and non-cliché look at the country. Living in Japan for more than five years, Rachel Davis decided to celebrate the country she calls home now with a beautiful new publication. The first issue is dedicated to Kyoto, the city she's based. She tells me more about her move to Japan and the first issue of Storied. I moved to Kyoto five and a half years ago. And I'm originally from the UK. So my husband is a gin distiller, actually, and we moved originally for his job. So he helped to start the Kyoto distillery here. So we moved for that five and a half years ago. And I was working also in the distillery industry, booze industry back in the UK before 
but in PR and events side of things. And obviously I couldn't do that when I came here, didn't have any Japanese knowledge or any contacts. So I kind of transitioned over into journalism. I knew some editors from my roles before and I started by writing articles about hospitality in Japan, the food and drink scene in Japan. And then I kind of just carved out a path writing stories about Japan, but for media in the UK and the US. And it went, it was going really well. Um, I was working for some interesting publications. I started learning photography and I was working with some cool companies and brands doing photography. And then I had the idea to set up storied probably, gosh, it probably was about three and a half, four years ago now. And it was because I was working freelance, writing about Japan, but a lot of it was the same places that people wanted to hear about. And I live in Kyoto and I love Kyoto, but I've started working for travel kind of tourism boards, actually, a lot for prefectural tourism boards. So I was traveling a lot around Japan to unknown or lesser known places. And I was like, these are amazing places. People should know about these. Tourists should come and visit these places. And I just wanted to share a little bit more about Japan than I found was on offer. And that's what I felt reading the first issue, which is, again, it's called the Kyoto issue, because Kyoto can be also a very mysterious city. So I think you definitely avoided the cliches because there are some areas where, you know, super busy with tourists and then they forgot yeah. kind of some of the other magical things about the city as well. Yeah. And I think also a big thing for me is a lot of tourists come to Kyoto and just stay in the city, but Kyoto Prefecture itself is so beautiful and it's actually quite large. There's forests and mountains and there's a coastline that is absolutely gorgeous. And I think it was kind of highlighting that fact as well that yes, Kyoto is this incredible city and there are very many beautiful things to do here. And obviously the touristy places are touristy for a reason, but also there are so many other incredible places that people just don't know about. And I just really wanted to kind of share that. And in terms of the magazine, Rachel, I mean, you want kind of, for example, I know you're from the UK. Is that the main market, uh, people from outside Japan? Or do you think the magazine might do well even, even in Japan itself? Yeah, so we've seen, since we launched this first issue, which came out around a month ago, majority of the magazines have been sold overseas, um, Europe, the States and Australia. Uh, but actually, we do have some stockists in Japan. And I think the content is still nice for people, either foreign residents that live here or Japanese people that read English, because we really try to focus on stories that are interesting, not just for tourists. And these are stories that people even within Japan might not know. So we do have people in country that are reading and enjoying the magazine too. And it must be such a delight launching a magazine in Japan. You know, I've been there only once, but you can, you can see that even when you look at Japanese magazines, they love print so much. There's such yeah. a, an attention to it that, I mean, if, I think if you like print, it's a good country to be around. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And the attention to 
detail here is incredible. So we use a printer in Kyoto and they are beyond amazing. They just, their quality is exceptional and they just live for print. So my co-founder, Hannah, uh, she's Japanese, but she lived in the States for a while. Um, she does all the design aspects of the uh, magazine. And then I do all the content aspects and working with contributors and things like that. So we're a good team, but she was just also blown away by the printers here. And she used to work in design back in New York. And she just said that the difference is mind blowing and they really, really care here. And I think that there is this whole Japanese hospitality background where they really want you to be happy as a customer. And also they're just really good at perfecting things. <laughs> so they had these paper samples that they would show us and they would spend ages telling us where this paper came from and what they thought would be the best way of using this paper and about the ink that they used and it was just like a really great relationship and they were so happy with their finished product as well so is the idea that every issue would be about a different city or not necessarily no not necessarily so um we did the first one is kyoto because we live here and we wanted it to kind of be a celebration of the place that we live and it was kind of symbolic for us, which is why we chose the first theme as Kyoto. The second theme is actually islands. So a lot of the remote islands around Japan we visited. The third theme is cedar. And the fourth, volume four, is water. So yeah, then the two, three, and four will be stories from kind of all over Japan, not necessarily one location. And when is issue two out? I mean, is, do you have an idea already? Yeah, so quarterly release was our aim to begin with. We were slightly delayed with the first issue. I think obviously first magazine that was ever printed, we were having some delays and then the pandemic didn't really help either. So volume two is the summer issue and we are trying to get it out in August. Then Cedar, the autumn issue, I think maybe November time. And then Water, the winter issue is gonna be January time. Hopefully, fingers crossed. <laughs> that sounds like good planning to me. And Rachel, I, I must ask, of course, everybody's talking already about the Olympics. I mean, what's the vibe there in Japan about the Olympics? I know it's gonna be, uh, it would be a difficult one in any country that would host at this time. Yeah. Uh, but what's your feeling about it? So it's very mixed feelings here. I think a lot of people, a lot of Japanese people are not really looking forward to it. So we've been actually in a state of emergency here in Kyoto for the last six weeks, I think, maybe even longer than that. Tokyo also has been in the state of emergency. They've just had theirs extended. Ours is just finished. We still have certain restrictions, but the actual state of emergency in Kyoto is finished. So there is a lot of talk about the Olympics currently. And I think I read last week that over 80% of residents here are not looking forward to the Olympics going ahead. So 
it's not looking good. <laughs> yeah, no worries. But your magazine is looking good. That's what that's what matters. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel, thank you so much. Lovely chatting with you here for the stack. Thank you. That was Rachel Davis there from Storied Magazine. The first issue is out now. And finally in the show, I thought it would be a good time to replay an interview I did with Simone Marchetti back in 2019, when he recently became the editor-in-chief of Vanity Fair Italia. His first cover at the time was with the wonderful Raffaella Carà, Italian icon that sadly passed away this week. The cover was iconic, one of my favorite ever. I am a big fan of Raffaella. What a woman. Let's hear some words from Marchetti about that cover. I choose to put on the cover a very famous Italian icon from the tele- Italian television, one of the most important, the most recognizable, and she's Raffaella Carrà. She started doing television in the 60s, and she was, she is a pioneer, a feminist, not only a soubrette, a singer, or an actress, but she really... Uh, Make the revol- made the revolution before the revolution, before the 69, with their lightness, but in my opinion, that lightness was more profound than anything else. So I decided to put her on the cover in a very unexpected way. I, I think that I have to present the known in uh, an unexpected way. So I put on her a very iconic dress from Valentino, from Pierpaolo Piccioli, and uh, it's the the opposite. It's the pop and the and the couture. It's the fashion and the and the television. Something that were not related. And I think that nowadays you have to bring back beautiness into pop culture. That's the key factor. At the same time, you have to put tradition, the highest tradition, without any stereotypes, without any limit into the nowadays uh, media that are, which are very, very different from the past. You know, Simone, with that cover, is it you trying to say that, you know, Vanity Fair, yes, you will be high fashion as well in Couture, but you also, you will talk about, you know, Italian pop culture as well, you know, because the magazine has been through a little redesign, I believe. Is that what you want as well, to make it pop? I think that I remember when I was talking to Miucha Prada some years ago, and she was saying something very smart that made me think a lot. She was saying, uh, it's too easy to speak to a niche, to a little niche. It's, it's very easy. And I can do fashion for a very little niche of the market and doing something very special, very sophisticated. But at the end, I'm talking to a small audience. And she was saying, uh, with my brand Prada, I want to talk to a lot of people. So I have to bring art, sophistication, and beautiness into pop. That's the risky and the strong thing to do today. 
And I think that I would like to do the same thing with the magazine. So pop is not a diminution of something. It's just a, a way to bring beauty, stories, intelligence, entertainment, philosophy too, because there will be philosophy and poems in, in the magazine too, to a large audience. I think that nowadays it's very important to treat the pop culture in this way. That was Simone Marchetti from Vanity Fair, Italia. And rest in peace, Raffaella. You are and always will be an icon. Well, that's it for this week's show. My thanks to our editor, Nora Hall. And if you have any comments or queries, feel free to write to me, Fernando, at fpmonaco.com. And remember, we're back next Saturday at the same time. And of course, you can always listen to it again at monaco.com or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and SoundCloud. Before we go, a little song for you. Got inspired by the new title in Japan. This is Henry with... Last Summer Whisper. You've been listening to The Stack. I'm Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Until next time, it's goodbye from me. Mm-hmm.